I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. The More Train, Less Pain podcast is proud to announce that season two will be sponsored by Anchor. Anchor is the space-saving portable cable trainer that weighs no more than nine pounds. It's no bigger than the size of a dumbbell, and it can be mounted in almost any training environment. Anchor was the first piece of training equipment I purchased when starting my own training business, and I use it in the gym, out on the field, and at home. There's no assembly required, no expensive install, and it's a fraction of the cost of a traditional cable column. It's assembled in the United States and is currently used by athletes across all of the major professional sports. The More Train, Less Pain podcast listeners also get a 10% off discount on their newest product, the Anchor Pro, when they use code MTLP at checkout. Now back to the show. All right. And we are live with season two of More Train, Less Pain. Michelle, how the hell are you? I'm great. Besides being a little nervous for this, I feel like I got to get back in the podcast rhythm a little bit, you know? Your voice is cracking every third word. Yeah, seriously. I did a podcast, I think a few weeks ago and 20 minutes in, I was like, oh my gosh, like, did I just forget how to talk and formulate sentences? It's almost like this pressure that, you know, you're being recorded, but I usually after like 25 minutes, I settle in and I forget about that. It's a bummer when you vomit in your mouth during a live recording and then you have to just (laughs) kind of swallow it and go on with your day. Or you take a, like a sip of water and you start choking. I did that too. I had to hit mute for a second. I feel like when I'm recording a podcast, I drink water like Mark Zuckerberg does. <laughs> yeah, me tiny, too. tiny little odd sips. Exactly. I had I was on a call with uh, my strategy course group classroom, and I I felt like I was talking for so long, which I really never do. But then my throat started to get dry, and I started to kind of like <laughs> cough. I couldn't finish my sentences. It was really embarrassing. So the. Uh... Our idea for the episode today is just going to be the random fitness show. So we're going to do a little recap about what's been going on in our lives in the past six or so months of 2021, and then just kind of a grab bag of fitness, rehab, strength and conditioning related topics that we hope our listeners will find interesting. Boom. So what's been going on in your life the past six months? At least haven't been a major, bought a a house, got married, like not really anything (laughs) life altering. Your life basically hit like fast forward like 10 years within the past six months. Yeah, it was, well, you know, we we finished recording season one and I had all this extra time. So I just decided to get married and buy a house. (laughs) (laughs) In between season two and three, I think we'll raise three children and they will have gone off to college by the time we record season three. Oh, perfect. I'm glad you already got that in mind. What, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's life stuff. That's probably not too interesting to people listening to this. I think, um, I had mentioned this before, but in November of 20, 2020 is when I got my left hip surgery. So when we were recording season one, I was still, uh, I mean, at certain points I was on crutches. It was still pretty, pretty recent, but for most of it, I wasn't able to do any running whatsoever. Cause I, I wasn't to run until month five post-operatively. And I think that's after we recorded our last episode. So from a training standpoint, getting running back um, has been huge. Cause that's just something that like, you know, as, as much as I want that to not make me, <laughs> make me happy as, as not reliant as I want to be on running. It's just, like, I really, really like how running makes me feel. I like the feeling <laughs> of running. I like the feeling of fucking running fast um, it's probably something I'm just going to keep doing until my hips like literally disintegrate. Although, and we'll talk about this. I think that the manner in which I practice running nowadays is probably pretty conducive to continuing to do it till, you know, till I'm 50 or 60 or 70 or whenever my total hips are dear Michelle. So where are you now in the rehab stage? Like, how are you feeling overall since the surgery? Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably a year post-op, uh, our good friend, Mike Camperini would probably know the date better than I did, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm like a year and two or three weeks post-op. 
certainly better than I was before. Certainly not where I'd like to be in terms of, you know, not, not everything is comfortable all the time. There's, there's days where I still get that left hip pain. I still feel like that's the primary limiting factor in me running more than two or three days a week and certainly more running more than like 10 miles a week. But I don't know the the busier life gets, the less running 20 or 30 miles a week is, is speaking to me. I mean, I really, really like what I do now with a day of sprints on the grass with Molly, just, you know, run like 55 yards or 110 yards as fast as I can. And then I do uh, the joke with me and all my college friends is like, I basically run so that I'm fit enough to, when we go to weddings together, do like the Saturday morning run with the crew. So as long as I can do like five miles at seven thirty pace and not be dying, like that is the good enough level that I hope to maintain for the next five or 10 years. Gotcha. People are going to get a really good glimpse this season at your hip and training history at not as a practitioner, but as a client, because we're going to sit down with Lance Gogi, who, uh, Goiki, excuse me, who was your past trainer. And then Camperini, who's your current kind of, what, just kind of bounce off ideas guy. Yeah, he's just my, he's my ideas guy. Sometimes I just text him to see what he's wearing, what he's thinking, how he's living, <laughs> what he smells like. Well, perfect. He posted this video to Instagram where it looked, I, I think he lives in like an apartment complex. It looked like the <laughs> nicest pool behind him. And I'm just offended I haven't gotten an invitation to come down to Arizona. Yeah, there was a few times where I texted him and he sent me a video and it's, it's basically like him rolling out of bed and his hair is all messy and he just looks like he has his pajamas on and then he presses record, he casually walks out in front of the camera, pulls up his pants a little bit and then gets down on the ground and like shows me the exercise and I'm like, man, what, what's going on here? Maybe he's living the dream, that doesn't sound He bad. is living the dream. I mean, when you live in Arizona, how can you not? Yeah, that's true. Just uh, rolling high. Uh, what? Yeah. So that's those are those are my life things. I think from a professional standpoint, still, you know, about half of the work that I do is through the website, through my own clinic uh, here in Denver. Kind of a big surge in remote services like the running programming, the strength programming, some professional mentorship, all of which like I love doing all that stuff. Um, and then still seeing a little bit of home health physical therapy, but still like a 50-50 mix of those things, starting to talk to some technology companies and maybe making a, a pivot into doing some part-time work for for that kind of stuff. But yeah, life is life is mainly good. What do you got going on, dear Michelle? You know, um, I got married as well. Um, Congratulations. We first that it wasn't to each other. We are not married to one another. <laughs> Very important note. <laughs> Exactly. I did a lot of traveling. Um, so I visit, visited a few national parks, which was amazing. Um, just had a kind of good time this summer with the constraints that basically were put on, put on us this summer. Um, my own training, my goal last m- month was to be a little bit more structured because obviously I had. Wait, wait, wait. You're also, didn't, didn't you get an addition to your family? Oh in yeah, the past, we got in the past six months. Yeah, we got a dog, another one. What's her name? <laughs> Stabler. And anyone who can get that reference, we should be best friends. So my first dog's named Benson, and the second one's named Stabler. Do you get I mean, that reference, Tim? No, no, I don't. Oh my good gosh! Uh, uh, it's from a, a show called Law and Order, Special Victims Unit. It's like the two detectives. Yeah, I could see really into Law and Order Special Victims Unit. No, we got our taste in shows. You fuck up those criminals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put those guys behind bars. No, so it's it's been great. Uh, the best dog ever. Like, so chill. Just always happy to see you. So couldn't, couldn't be better. Um, and then, you know, obviously the summer was crazy planning a wedding um nothing over the top like i'm not like a really big wedding person we're pretty much the same on this front of like didn't want anything crazy wasn't willing to really financially support any kind of craziness for a day why it was so convenient Um, we married one another yeah exactly it's meant to be um so you know i basically trained to get by like you know I was physically active did a lot of steps a lot of hiking um but I didn't really follow any like specific plan and then 
Eric Huddleston, who was writing my programs, went to the Pacers. So he kind of dropped off the face of the earth in a good way. Oh, shit. Good for Eric. Damn. Yeah, good on him. yeah he left IFAS. Um, he's now at the Pacers. Um, let's link uh, let's link his Instagram in the show notes. Oh, I will. And so what I did is I just grabbed my um, indoor and repeat training program that I have. And I started just putting myself back through it because uh, it works very well. I have basically access to three gyms, which I'm kind of a spoiled brat about. So I have all different types of equipment. Um, and I stuck to that, went through phase one of that. And then it's only three days a week. So the other days I was kind of just doing small durations. So like 20 to 40 minutes, like between clients kind of a thing. And then Mike Camperini, I asked him to structure those three days in between to train. And it's, it's kind of a circuit logistics structure. And it's only about 30 minutes that it takes me to do. And it's quote unquote, kind of more of a mobility thing, working on range of motion with like dynamic activity. So this is, I mean, a perfect segue to the thing that, that we were actually going to discuss in the, in the first, you know, grab bag topic, but this notion of like mini workouts. Yeah. So you're, what you're saying right now is you get the, you get predominantly your fitness outcomes from the endure and repeat program, which you've designed. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's got like the, the power, the strength, I would assume some of the endurance type of things. And then Mm -hmm. you, you brought Campo on board so that three days of work, you just do 30 minutes of things that are more oriented towards like maintaining or restoring ranges of motion. Yes. Okay. Which kind of takes us into another topic of like, well, how do we know that's actually happening? And like the difficulty. Nah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there yet. No, 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 no. We will okay. go there though. Yeah. But yeah. So <laughs> usually for my busier days with like clients, you know, I maybe have an hour between clients or 30 minutes between clients. And I usually like to maximize time as much as possible and be as productive as possible. So it's not like I'm sitting there scrolling through my phone. I do a workout in that 30 minutes and then I'm able to go back home and, you know, I get a high step count on those days. Um, and maybe I'll go for like a long walk at night. Um, but I wanted to make sure that in those 30 minutes, you know, um, kind of maximizing, I don't know if it's like my goals, but things that, can benefit me in the long run. Yeah. Cause you don't really hurt. Like I know no. like you have some neck stuff that flares up from time to time. And like, I remember you had like a hip issue that was like pretty transient, but like by and large you like things feel good on you. Yeah. Yeah. Must be nice. More train, less pain. <laughs> <laughs> You're the train. I'm the pain. <laughs> so no, I think, so this is, This concept of mini workouts is something I've been thinking about a lot over the past month, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're, I would hope you're a strength coach or a trainer or physical therapist. Otherwise um, you're a person that needs to find other things to do with their time. But uh, the way that our days are typically scheduled, if you're in one of those professions is we're typically booked like by the hour, by the 30 minute. So essentially it becomes like booked by the hour. So usually like uh, in a lot of my days, there will just be a 60 minute slot, most commonly in like the, like the mid to late morning. Like I see like a 6am, 7am, 8am. And then like, I'll usually have a 9am or a 10am free. And what I realized was that with the, with the strength stuff I was programming for myself, like it to do well, it takes 90 minutes. So I was having to omit a little bit of a warm up, a little bit of a cool down and omit some volume from the workout itself. So instead of doing like two of those longer types of days, what I'm experimenting now with myself and with a few of my clients is like having these mini workouts where I'll do three or four of them in a week, but they can be done to a really, really high quality with a really high effort in 40 minutes. So it's like, I'm doing five minutes of mobility, 10 minutes of like an athletic superset kind of thing. Like, um, Campo turned me on to backwards sled dragging, which I fucking love. And like maybe something light, like a jump rope then an output thing like a trap bar deadlift. And then I'll finish with like some of David Gray's isometrics or like something again to kind of bring the system down. And that from, from top to bottom is like a 40, 45 minute fitness experience. And I can end a client change, do that change again, and like kind of catch my breath, 
drink some water before the next one. And I think that to me, that seems like a really elegant way to solve the problem of like trainers and physical therapists never have enough time to actually train. Yes, it does. You can basically put in your own constraints with your schedule. Um, in, in some ways we're privileged in a way because where we work out is, is our place of work. So it's kind of like, it's hard to find reasons why you wouldn't do that. But yeah, if you're back to back to back and then, you know, you can go home after that. It's hard to not be tempted just to go home. But sometimes I purposely um, will create a gap in my schedule. So I'll schedule someone instead of like, you know, end with someone at eight, I'll purposely schedule someone not at eight, but at nine. So I'm like, okay, that's when I'm going to work out and I'm constrained to that 60 minutes. And it works out perfectly. There's a lot of people who refer to these small doses. Um, the guy who used to be the strength conditioning coach at Stanford, I'm having a brain fart on his name. And now he works with the Phoenix Suns. I uh, apologize. I forget his name. But he he wrote a lot about it in terms of microdosing. So he would take, if I'm getting this correctly, uh, the Stanford basketball team into kind of intense, quick workouts. So not like an hour duration. So we're talking like, 20, 30 minutes. And that kind of maintained things throughout the season a lot better than these big duration workouts. And then followed by, you know, games in a row or practices or non-training days where it's kind of just like you you push someone up and then they kind of drop down and push someone up kind of like peaks and valleys, where he was able to maintain a lot of qualities over time with this microdosing concept. Um, I like it a lot just because I don't really like to spend a lot of time in the gym. Um, I'm a little different. I, you know, I'm out of my 20 year old phase of loving spending 12 to 14 hours in a gym. You know, I want to do what I need to do, but I want to go back now to my, my herd of dogs and uh, my personal life, (laughs) which we'll get back to that. I have, I think, uh, by the way, it's a, it's, it's a pack. Pack yeah, of dogs. Pack. yeah, herd of, yeah. I don't know what the hell's in herd, cattle maybe? Yeah, and I'm the alpha <laughs> of that pack for sure. By the way, just uh, apropos to what you were saying about the um, like collegiate strength and conditioning, just just uh, like a quick shout out to a friend who I think is doing really cool stuff. If, if there's any strength and conditioning coaches listening to this right now that are interested more in that microdosing concept and specifically what should make up the microdose fitness concept, my buddy from college, Daniel Bove, B-O-V-E, who works for the New uh, New Orleans Pelicans, I believe, but like the New Orleans basketball team, he came out with a book six months ago called The Quadrant System. And we'll put Daniel Bove mm-hmm. and The Quadrant System in the show notes. Um, but I just, I, I got through reading that on a plane ride back from New York a couple of weeks ago. And I thought that was a, like, it's a really si- simple, elegant, and kind of unique way to think about this microdosing concept, but also what what's the optimal composition of the exercises that we're microdosing as the time of the season changes, as the playing demands changes. So little plug for my buddy, Daniel, his book, The Quadrant System. Perfect. And that guy I was referring to before, Corey Schlesinger. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. I had a little brain fart there. But not only is that kind of a great way to work within the constraints and crazy schedule of those environments, but just personal training clients as well, like general population, the hardest thing to do is start. So I remember I had a client who wanted me to write him an at-home training program. And he was basically like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I ended up writing it. And he, I don't even think he looked at it. (laughs) I asked him a few days later if he started it yet. And he said, no. And I was like, hey, it's just 15 minutes that's all it is. It's just a 15 minute workout. And he goes, Oh, 15 minutes. Oh, I can do that. So I feel like a lot of people get a little bit overwhelmed because they associate exercise with this like long duration commitment. And maybe you can just kind of start someone with microdosing, especially someone who has a low training age where that's probably all they really need to get started is just giving them a short amount of time and low amount of exercises just to get them started. And I feel like getting over that hump is really important too, with a lot of people we work with. Yeah. And I mean, again, to like, to give listeners something specific where they can kind of like see what this would look like. I think my workout yesterday was I did 
I supersetted backwards sled drags with like a traveling camperini deadlift, like a retro deadlift with a really lightweight, like a 15 pound dumbbell or something for like five minutes. And then I went right into work sets of a trap bar deadlift, got in, got up to like, I don't know, 150% of my body weight for five or six good sets. And then did, yeah, did some David Gray isometrics for like three sets per side. And I, I mean, I think it was like, it was 30 minutes. And right then and there, I, I know you and I are similar in that, like, if we don't get a workout in on a day, like that, it's like, that's a bad day. So that's already, and I, day. yeah, that's like I did that at 8am. So already like, you know, it's like that box is checked. So like it's automatically a good day. That's, that's kind of taken care of. And yeah, I think, yeah. no, there's like, there's a lot of use cases for this. I also want to say like, not everything needs to be microdosed. I'm, yes, I, I do remote programming for this guy that lives in Boston, but um, is traveling to Carolina and he's going to be kind of in like rural Carolina. And so what we're going to do with this program is have a couple of like microdosing home days that he can do, which are going to be like short duration, but then he's going to go to a city, like drive to a city to use a gym one day a week. So we're going to maximize the amount of stuff he does in that day. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be his primary output day. So I think there, there's, there is probably a use case. Like if travel time is an issue, if proximity to gym is an issue, then you probably want to do like as much good stuff as you can in a 90 minute or slightly longer workout in a gym. And that can work really, really well too. But I think with, with the nature of how our schedules unfold as coaches, fitness professionals, and therapists, this stuff works really, really well. And like, I'm kicking myself that I, that I wasn't more consistent with it earlier in my life. Cause I think it like, it's, I, I don't see going back to 90 minute workouts. Yes, I know. There's two things with that. I think logistics is one of the primary variables you have to work with nowadays, especially with general population clients um, with programming, because anyone can kind of write a program and think of things to do with a gym full of equipment. You almost have to force yourself to be creative with a limited amount of um, equipment or the location that they're going to be training in. Um, so sometimes these microdosing workouts can be great if, you know, someone only has one kettlebell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very well said. And I think from a rehab standpoint, from my PTs listening out there, this is really, this is a really, really effective way to build out a home exercise program. Like when someone comes and sees me for that first visit, and this is something I picked up from like people in that Bill Hartman lineage, Pizza Sinelli, Joe Sinelli, Mike Camperini, Zach Couples, they, they're only going to give like one or two pieces of exercise homework, which before I'd been exposed to that, it was like, you know, people are getting six exercises, eight exercises, 10 exercises. And one of the biggest things with physical therapy is like people just don't do their shit. Yes. And you can't even tell if it's the right stuff to give someone if they're not going to consistently do that stuff. So kind of like what with what you said with the 15 minute workout with your training client, it's like give them two things. The two things are probably going to help to some degree, but by and large, it's an excuse to start to build a habit. And I think for, you know, both for professionals and just for gen pop people that want to be training for a long period of time, getting into the habit of doing five or 10 minutes of five or 10 minutes a day of just some daily mobility type stuff in addition mm-hmm. to the training is huge. So it's like so much of what I do is just trying to build that habit. And the easiest way to build that habit is just like, all right, do this once a day for five minutes and see if you can execute six out of the seven days until the next time I meet you. Yeah, absolutely. The workout literally was put a 15 minute timer on and do these four exercises in a row for until the timer goes off. That's just it. You don't have to think yeah. about anything else. My last workout, what I usually, I love to structure them as, as something continuous in the beginning. So something to quote unquote warm up. So I usually do like a light sled, 10 to 15 minutes, like push pull variations. Every time like I go down and up, it's like uh, different variations. I can even do like a horizontal press or horizontal pull with the sled as I walk backwards or go forward, different types of overhead or arm position on the sled or lateral step. Um, then I will pick one or two main exercises. So you mentioned the trap bar or like a bench press, and then I'll pick three exercises and do them like a circuit three times through. And it's like, boom, boom. 
I look, can we link a video to a backwards sled drag in the show notes? I like, I love this drill. And it's what people need to understand about a lot of the sled drag stuff when it's done for the purpose of like warming up or mobility is that there isn't a progression of weight. Like our, our first instinct as people that get people fitter is like, let's put some fucking load on this thing. And I think a sled, like a sled push done with heavy load can probably be a thing. Um, But I don't think it's as effective or it's just, it's entirely a different thing than like for me throwing 60 or 70 pounds on one of those tiny floor sleds and just dragging it backwards with the toe straps like that, that feels like I can, I can feel a hip shift going on. I can feel space between my shoulder blades, like all of the areas that tend to get restricted either with heavy bilateral training or just modern life. It seems to undo that really, really effectively. Yeah. It, to me, it's, it's a progression of duration, you know, like I'll push and pull a sled. I started with just five minutes. Now I'm up to 15 minutes. It maybe has a 25 pound plate on, on it. Um, and not a humid day. Cause that changes kind of the weight of the sled, but it's kind of that Charlie Francis comp concept of a high low. It's like do a really heavy or fast sled push for a very short amount of time or do it for like a long time. Kind of like my repeat and endurance kind of concept, like two ends of the spectrums. It's almost like we get this like moderate weight where we're pushing it um, like over and over again, like continuously. And it's like, well, what are we like kind of looking for here? When you do the backwards sled walk, where is the handle? So is it out in front of you? Is it a little bit, is it low on the sled? Do you have your hands actually physically touching the sled? It's not a sled with the vertical posts that okay. you can push effectively. It's literally, I think Rogue makes them. It, it goes on. It's like a, it's a piece of metal that goes on the floor that's turned up at either end that has a post in the middle that you can put, put a plate on. Okay. And then we have toe straps carabiner to it. Okay. So it's essentially just like a weight plate that can slide readily that you can pull in a variety of directions. Okay. That, that's, that's a good clarity. On a side note, when I actually do grow up like you and buy a home one day, I think I'm going to have part of like the mortgage as fitness equipment, specifically rogue equipment. It's funny. When Denise and I were looking into buying a house, we were both so gung-ho about outfitting a garage gym. And then the second we bought the house, we're like, you know, the, the cars make a lot of sense in the garage. Probably the garage is used for cars. Damn it. <laughs> and we haven't, we haven't looked into it at even a little bit, but I, like you, am very spoiled. And then I have the great outdoors to train in and a gym here and my climbing gym. And like, it's, it's fine. We don't need to bring that home. Do you, yeah. um, do you notice a benefit from extending the duration of the sled stuff past five minutes? Like, do you feel better after 10 minutes or 15 minutes? Or are you thinking you're developing some aerobic qualities with that? Probably more so the latter, but I think after five minutes, I feel really good. So it's almost. Yeah. That's kind of what I've noticed. Yes. Um, after that, it's more of just an endurance thing for me. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, recently, sorry, kind of connect. To something that we alluded to, because both of us have had kind of big life demands in the past six months. And I know like the wedding itself wasn't even that bad for me, but it's like in the past three months, I've been traveling every other weekend for other people's weddings, like just flying places. So that really compresses my work weeks and makes it so that I can't get my typical like six or seven training sessions for me in during a week. And what I noticed was if I can maintain those three, like three micro micro dosing lifts, the three mini lifts, and then do my sprints, like if I get those four sessions in, then I'm, I'm pretty happy. Like I can do that. I can do that in perpetuity. And I know like my, my aerobic fitness has definitely suffered. Like I was feeling winded dancing around at the wedding a couple of weekends ago. Um, I'm sure I can't climb as effectively as I could a few months ago, but it's like, I, I look pretty much the same. I'm, I'm strong. I can run fast. And for me, that feels like a really, really nice way to maintain sanity. And it feels like if life were to get really, really hectic, those are the four days that I just wouldn't concede on like my three mini mini lifts and my sprints in the grass with Molly. Um, any thoughts on that? Like how to triage, like when, when you kind of can't train with the frequency that you want to train, like what you would start chopping out or how you think through that process for your clients. 
Yeah. So I think through it as, you know, you only have so much energy. So if something in my life is going on, that's taking a lot of emotional energy or cognitive energy, my heavy lifts tend to drop off quite a bit because I have to, it has to give somewhere and more or less, it's going to be my physical energy output. So I feel the best when I do do those micro dosing or my endurance work versus a heavy loaded day. So one of my indoor and repeat training days, um, I just, I can't put out um, what I would like to. And then I feel like, and then it, kind of brings me back down later in the day. Um, so those are, those tend to be the days that I kind of give up during those times. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Cause it, like, I, I, I kind of do the opposite where it's like, I definitely maintain the movement stuff, but all the conditioning goes out. And then I, I make sure like I touch something kind of heavy in a couple of those micro dosing days. And to me, I think, I think what that feels like to me is like, all right, I'm not like, like, you know, my muscles aren't wasting away completely. And that's probably fairly psychological. Like it probably would be fine if I just did like lightweight stuff, but that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, so you have a different strategy for triaging. Yeah. So when I used to give presentations a lot and when, you know, in the beginning, I used to get extremely nervous for them where the endurance kind of aspect of training would kind of allow me to have some sort of like movement meditation where you know, I would run outside without headphones and kind of this quote unquote, like, let me clear my head a little bit. And then the micro dosing days where, you know, I would hit three sets of trap bar, but then I would just be done. So I wouldn't chase like load. It would almost just be like a quick stimulus to be able to maintain that. But I wasn't prepared physically or mentally or emotionally to go kind of beyond that. So I felt like I would more so try to sustain and stay under kind of a window that would push me too far um, just because I was being cognitively stressed too much. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, there's also like Joe Rogan talks a ton about he really likes longer duration, really intense cardio before he goes on stage. Like he'll do that six hours before. Cause it just like, it, it gives him this kind of just smoothness, this, he like burns off some of the manic energy that would cause mm -hmm. vocal tics and stuff. And it, that's something I've certainly experienced or experimented with in days where I do presentations and that there, there definitely does seem to be something to that, like that kind of well being that you get after a fairly intense aerobic session that does seem to persist more than like the quick hitting strength stuff. Yes. It's almost, but to me right now, I'm struggling with that a little bit because I agree with that statement. However, the quick hitting stimulus stuff is almost easier for me to get in just because of time constraints and being at the gym um, where that's something I can do really easily in that those periods of times we we're talking about versus that high intensity cardio, which is kind of what I do enjoy and feel like I benefit more from, but it's almost like I'm not choosing to do that. Yeah. I, not to sound like too much of a basic bro here, but in the past <clears throat> month or two, I've been, I've been, Denise, my wife has a Peloton and then there's a, there's a Peloton at the gym here. And like, that's been really, really effective actually when I'm just like, all right, I want to like try hard and get like quick conditioning in, especially if my, like if my hips are a little sore or something, like you can, you can really get like a good 35 minutes in and that by no means is that training. Like you couldn't just do that and get really fit or strong or move well or anything, yeah. but as just to throw in as like, I need a high intensity aerobic output day. I think mm -hmm. you can do a lot worse than that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it goes back to making something easy for someone to start. So like, instead of you going to the gym or being like, okay, I need to go do something for 45 minutes an hour. You're like, Oh, I, I got 20 minutes. I got 30 minutes. I can get a bike in. Yeah. Um, speaking of like life demands and management of energy, something also since season one to season two, hopefully people can relate to this is, you know, we've talked before about kind of being over that 20 year old stage of being at the gym all day. And, um, something I'm struggling with now is, you know, I used to spend hours of my day, like reading and writing and kind of diving into like these rabbit holes. And the past six months, I've almost been like 
paralyzed by analysis of trying to be more focused with my next steps instead of trying to do everything all at once, which is what I was guilty of before. And I've actually, you know, taken a little bit of responsibility in thinking about how am I making these decisions and the importance of reaching out to people, talking through these things with people. So I've reached out to a lot of professionals um, recently to get like kind of their opinion, run some ideas by them. It's more so because I want to place more of my energy with my personal life and, you know, my job and profession now has become a way to provide for my personal life instead of kind of the front runner. And that's okay. It's just a transition in, in your life and priorities. But now, you know, in the fitness realm, I used to kind of just try to do everything all at once. And now I have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of energy. And it's like, well, now just like training, I feel like I need to be a little bit more dialed in on a focus um, and make sure I'm staying on track and then move on to the next one. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's, you know, as in training, so in life, right? Like there's uh, people talk about like the burners theory. Like if you have like family, friends, fitness and health and profession, like you only have so much gas between those four burners. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you, when you dial up your, your family dial, it doesn't mean that you completely neglect the professional one. Like, obviously you're still doing amazing things professionally. We're still recording this podcast, but it certainly means that you're going to have to be more efficient. And in the, in the less time that you're spending doing these things, how can you maximize the return on that time? And I think that's like, that's probably a really healthy process to, to go through because it's, it doesn't seem like it would be sustainable long-term for anyone in this profession to just be like, all right, yeah, do it a hundred hours a week, do all the things. Maybe that's necessary initially. I know in PT school, like my, you know, I'd be in class and I would just be like reading PT articles and strength conditioning articles instead of like, like I'd be half listening to the class, but also like, so like maybe you need that point in your earlier mid twenties, but it's certainly like, I don't know. Do you feel like it gives you a better appreciation for what a lot of your clients are going through with their life demands? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of fitness professionals, again, myself included at certain times, um, think that what you're doing is the most important thing. I'm trying to hold back and saying something, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. But again, I also think too, in terms of physical therapy, the why I think we both have so much interest in certain people is because they kind of see a big picture and especially you as a physical therapist as well. We kind of think that like the physical um, interventions that we're doing on people will fix these symptoms and causes and problems. Whereas you have to have a perspective. There's so many inputs and outputs that, you know, I'm going to do the best I can in the realm that I'm working with, but I also have a respect for all of the other factors that are going on that may impact um, the cause or the, the symptom or limitation that I'm seeing in front of me. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly why, like if you're a physical therapist listening to this and you're seeing four patients an hour, and you just kind of have to make your best guess at what's going to help that, that patient, like quit your job and start a cash-based practice where you can be one-on-one -on -one with someone for 50 minutes. And I, I, like, I joke about this, like there's five to 10 minutes of like the first five to 10 minutes of every session is like, usually just me bullshitting with the client. And like, there's something to be said there for rapport. There's something to be said there for client retention, but really like that's a time to get a read on what's actually going on in this person's life. I had a session today at 7am with a really, really close friend from college and he's on a monthly plan for me, but he, he couldn't meet last month just because his, they, they bought a house and like work for him was getting so hectic. So I had no idea what direction to take his monthly movement management stuff. Cause I didn't really know what was happening in his life. Mm. So that 10 minutes of just like, you know, this is what's going on with the marriage and the house and the job and all right, cool. So like, what are you thinking of? you know, what, how are you going to structure your training for the next month? And then I could determine how I could be most useful to him. But if you, if you don't have those opportunities to connect with your people, 
and learn what the everything else is in their life, then you're, you're always going to be a little myopic. You're never really going to like efficiently and optimally accomplish the outcome that you're trying to accomplish. Yes, exactly. And this is why I get not, I definitely don't get frustrated because I'm definitely the opposite of an emotional person. But what I try to do with my clients specifically is I don't try to have the mentality of fixing them because I know sort of my world is a constraint in itself in terms of if someone has knee pain, I'm going to focus on what they can do. I'm going to try to really point out and acknowledge their current capabilities. And hopefully the decision-making that I do will help them in some way with those pain issues. But if you think that you're just going to stop life for an hour and do things as a fitness professional um, and do things related to trying to fix that person's knee pain, maybe you do have the capabilities of that. But what if that person is leaving the gym or coming from something that's directly influencing that knee pain that you're completely unaware of or completely powerless to? So it's kind of like, you know, have a good perspective, be able to zoom out and zoom in, not just get stuck on zooming in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. Cause obviously if you, if you can't zoom in, then you're not going to give a good detailed individualized training program. But if you can't zoom out, then it's really, really easy to think that what you do as a rehab or fitness professional is the most important thing. Yes. And that's like, and that becomes like it, the assumption is it's the most important hour of, of your client's day. And, and the news, only newsflash to most people, like it's totally fucking not. Like, yes. So like we, we would like to believe that, but, and it's, it's incumbent on us to make it maybe the most enjoyable hour of that day to maybe make the fitness and rehab rehab outcomes leap up in priority in terms of their life. But it's like, they're, you know, that's probably the fourth or fifth or seventh most important thing that they have going on that day. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's not to say that you can influence that person in a positive way for sure. And exercise patience when you do that and have a long-term perspective um, but don't kind of think that you're the only variable that's directing that change. If that makes sense. Yeah, there was, um, there was a, so my buddy, our, our buddy, Joel Smith over at the just fly sports performance podcast had this guy named Austin Yoakum on last week. And he was talking about managing psychological states and managing energy states and his athletes that he trains and the, the examples that he was talking about was like people sometimes most commonly in a training situation, I think he trains high school and collegiate athletes. You get these kids that have been sitting in class for like eight hours that then need to go like, you know, turn up and get and like go output. So it's like the first five or 10 minutes of the session. What he likes to do is like fun games, like completely made up games. Like they have a ping pong thing and they have a basketball thing and they have a tag thing just to get some increased energy to the system, like to the organism, some engagement, some stoke. And if they come in like too stoked for whatever reason, he'll do things like positional breathing and isometrics, like to bring that energy level back down. But I thought that was a really, really interesting way to think like they're going about their day and then they're hitting this training session and you want to move them to a different state to optimize the training session and then you want to move them into a different state again to optimize the rest of their day in their life because mm. the situation that he trains people in is typically they'll train with him and then go they'll go to their sport so it's like what kind of mental shape do they need to be in for their sport is it a lineman that's going to be pushing someone around is it a quarterback that's going to be like sitting and watching film so i just thought that was really really interesting and again it speaks to this thing that we're discussing this thirty thousand foot view of an overall, like an, an athlete's life, a client's life. Exactly. And I like that because, you know, it kind of reminds me of a dentist saying that you, you know, having teeth issues because you're grinding your teeth at night. Here's a prescription for one of those mouth guard things to have in your mouth. So it's like, it's going to cushion the blow, you know, instead of why are you grinding your teeth and kind of addressing maybe changing that. And that's kind of, I always think of like Seth when I think of things like that, because I feel like that's where his mind would kind of go to. Yeah. 
It's like rehabbing the grinding. <laughs> I got one one more topic I want to cover on the random show. And it's okay. it's it's thriving with arbitrary rules. So this is something that I've noticed both in my clients and myself. So the the personal example here is if I go out and I have a wild weekend or a wedding weekend and I have maybe a few too many drinks, I'm I'm pretty broken for multiple days into the following week. Like I'm I'm not at my best intellectually, I'm not at my best uh, emotionally, my training suffers. So a while ago, I started instituting this rule that if I'm going to work out the next day, the maximum amount of alcoholic beverages I'm allowed to have is three. And it, it was complete, like that number is not arbitrary. That does seem to be the pattern, but like making that rule and imposing it on myself was completely arbitrary. Like three is an arbitrary number. I told my wife, I told my family, I told my friends, they're all aware of this, of this three drink rule. And in the past year, there's probably been like, I don't know a small handful of occasions where I've broken it. And when I've broken it, I've really broken it. But by and large, like that completely arbitrary number that I made like some kind of a deal with myself about has had such a tremendous positive impact on most things in my life over the past year. And I see a lot of clients that struggle with uh, their ability to be consistent with the, with their homework, with their mobility exercises and the thing that I started to do was I just, I, I made a little thing in Excel, like a mobility homework thing where, you know, in uh, vertically it's, it's weeks and then it's days. And they just get a little checkbox, like a calendar each day that they do their mobility, totally arbitrary. No one cares about the piece of paper, but just that simple act of giving them something, giving them a number to shoot for has dramatically increased compliance with people actually doing their stuff. And it just makes me wonder, like, I think human beings are kind of wired to sort of like follow these sort of arbitrary, meaningless rules. And if you can kind of lean into that, then you can accomplish some really fucking cool things. I had, I had a similar experience recently. So it's kind of funny that you said this. Um, it's people who aren't familiar with kind of a programming template. So I had a new client recently who never really, she was an in-person client for a while. So, I mean... I write the programs, but she never sees them. And so she moved and she started to do, I started to write programs for her. And I told her specifically, which I've never really done before, of print this out, record your weights and check off all the boxes and take a picture at the end of every two weeks and send it. And she did. And she said that that rule is literally the reason why she does it. And I was thinking, wow, I don't think I've ever said that to any one of my other kind of clients, more so because I deal with a lot of other fitness professionals who just kind of do it on their own. But I think like now moving forward, I will try to put rules in place to keep people more, one, um, keep their communication with me of like what they're doing, but also making sure, you know, they know that they have to do something and have to kind of be accountable for it. Yeah, <laughs> I work, I work with a client who was struggling with getting a, a certain amount of workouts in a week. Um, and he was especially bad at like hitting the strength stuff that I was programming for him. Cause he, he just liked to run. Like he would just go for runs, then his body hurt. Mm -hmm. And we made an arrangement where like, so I, I, I made that same kind of calendar thing. And if he hit his two strength days, and three other training days. And he had like an option of six other types of days he could pick because he like, liked to play tennis. He liked to hike. He liked to, well, like he had a lot of options, but if he did the two lift days and three and three others, so just five things per week, then he would, he would win that week. If he did not win that week, then money would be donated by him to a charity of my choosing that he would not agree with like wow. something completely like the American Nazi party or something. So that, so it was like a financial, a financial disincentive to, to hit that. And that seemed to work really, really well. I think he's done it once. Like we made a donation to a ridiculous charity uh, once and probably we should, you know, donate to an actual real charity. But I thought it was funnier initially to like make it something that would really, really like offend him. But it's like, it's, and again, like completely arbitrary, completely self-imposed, but just having these goals, having these numbers, incredibly impactful. Yes, absolutely. Look at this, cool. we crushed it. Anything else to chat about, Michelle? No, 
I think, you know, in the past six months, a big part of my journey as well has been really focusing on discerning qualities within others in thinking about if that's suitable for myself. And it goes back to the being more focused thing of seeing how kind of other people are doing things or thinking about ways and um, which to move forward in my business and then thinking about what that looks like in the future. You know what I mean? Like if you dive deeper into social media, what does that look like for you in the future? So that's a choice. Um, do you dive deeper elsewhere in your priorities? What does that look like in the future? What are other people's professional or behavioral um like referrals, like what do people think of people as? And then, okay, do you see yourself being that in the future and kind of being a little bit more decision-making towards what you want to look like in your future? I think that's been super helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that mindset's probably really, really useful most of the time. I mean, do you ever just do stupid shit for fun? I know that's like kind of a different thing, like you were speaking about, but like, you know, I, because I would struggle with my, once I get my mind working in a particular way, it's sort of tough sometimes to get it to change gears. So if I'm constantly thinking like, am I doing this thing that if I were to continue to do it, it would spit me out in a place that I want to be at in three years or five years. I know for me personally, thinking that way all the time does sort of inhibit the whole like, yeah, you know what? That sounds fun. Like, let's do that on Friday night. And, and a good life probably needs a balance of both. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So your answer is no, you don't do fun stuff. Probably not, no. <laughs> no. You just read you just read triphasic training for like the eighth time. Yeah. Or Jordan Peterson is where we're at right now. We're on round uh, round three of his book. Well, I'm really stoked to uh, record season two of this thing with you, my friend. Yeah, we have some fantastic new people, but then we also have people that we're bringing back because we literally just can't get enough talking to them. Um and so I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, stay tuned. We're, uh, I hope we're giving the people what they want. Uh, you know we are for sure. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. Well, if you've listened this far, thanks for listening. And uh, be sure to tune in for the next episode of the More Train, Less Pain podcast. Thank you for listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more positive reviews we get, the easier it becomes for fine movement professionals like you to find us and the more time Michelle and I can devote to bringing on high caliber guests and continuing to produce a high quality show. If you're still listening, that means you're pretty cool. And that likely means your friends are pretty cool too. We'd love for them to become fans of the show, spread the injury prevention, love and the biomechanical knowledge by sharing a screenshot of your favorite episode on Instagram. Be sure to tag at Dr. Michelle Bolin and at Tim Richard DPT when you do. Now get out there and go train.